Well, he is a popular author, uh, authors of the books uh, Killing Kennedy and Killing Lincoln, and then the latest of that series from Bill O'Reilly is Killing Jesus. And so uh, we might read this book and, and wonder how it purports to the facts and how it purports as, a, as it claims to be a historical book. That's the topic of our discussion today here on Table Talk Radio and Table Scraps, the Internet edition of Table Talk Radio. Uh, joining me for the conversation is Pastor Sam Schulteis. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Huntington Beach, California. Uh, pastor Schulteis, how's the weather in California? It is actually unseasonably warm today, so it's pretty nice, uh, like 70, mid-70s probably. Uh, we're uh, we're sweating instead of shoveling. <laughs> well, you've written this uh, this article called Killing Jesus, a book review of Killing Jesus, a, his- a history by Bill O'Reilly. Um, and this is going to be on our website, tabletalkradio.org, on the uh, description for this show. Why don't we start with the good? What what uh, was helpful from this book from Bill O'Reilly? Well, I think uh, part of it, and I had read, uh, well, I shouldn't say read, I had listened to Killing Lincoln uh, by O'Reilly and uh, Martin Dugard, oh, I don't know, sometime earlier in the fall. I listened to it on audio CD because I didn't want to actually spend the money enough to buy it. It, it sounded interesting, but not quite interesting enough to buy, a, to buy a brand new so I got it from the lo- local library and uh, listened to it. And wh- what I found appealing at first was just the narrative style, uh, the way that they told the story, recounted the history. Um, I thought that was a very, I thought it was an effective way of writing. And so I thought, well, maybe he'll uh, take that same kind of approach in killing Jesus and bring uh, a good mix of you know historical facts and accounts along with, uh, you know, just a, a good kind of a compelling way to organize the story, uh, a well-told thing, kind of like Luke starts off with uh, in Luke chapter 1, you know, about making a, a good story and uh, Theophilus kind of thing. So I, I thought that would be helpful. Um, and it, I think for the most part, you know, it was, a, it was an entertaining and interesting read. I think uh, one of the other helpful things was um, roughly the first third of the book, I guess you could say, is kind of recounting some of the wider context before Jesus' birth and during it and around Jesus' early lifetime, kind of the, the wide Roman world. Such a book, as you have said, is uh, missing kind of in the, the popular sphere. It seems like the books that make it to the bestsellers list, at least popularly um, about Jesus, are the ones uh, completely denying, denying the historicity or at least the um, most of the historical facts about Jesus. Yeah, exactly. That's usually what gets the best-selling attention is the fact uh, that you just ha- just by the nature that it's a, a critical book, or it's going to be a, a little more skeptical nature. If you get that going, well, then that's, that's going to sell. You know, that's going to catch the eye. It's going to be popular. That kind of thing. But O'Reilly set it up a little differently. You know, he said, "Oh, this is going to be a historical book, purely history, no religion whatsoever." And you know, on the surface, it looked like it would be a helpful. Again, helpful resource, historically speaking. I think there's some regards where that could be true. Uh, there's also some problems with that as you get into reading the book and listening to some of the things he says later on in interviews and such. In the book, you don't refer to Jesus as the Son of God. Why? Because it's not a religious book. There's no religion in the book, nothing. It's all about history. He trumpets his books as easy-to-read, fast-paced thrillers. 
I just want to write about important things in a very entertaining way. That's the formula. The title killing, using killing, bit sensationalist? Of course. Of course it's sensationalist. That's who I am. I'm a sensationalist. I'm a big mouth. I, I get attention. In this world, you have to, if you want a mass market presentation, you have to get attention. Bill O'Reilly in the uh, 60 Minutes uh, interview. So uh, Pastor Schulteis in this, um, he says that it's uh, not a religious book. Yeah, kind of an interesting thing. If you're gonna, if you're gonna write a biography about, you know, like maybe let's just say uh, a hockey player. Uh, yeah, this is a this is a movie or a, this is a book or a biography about a sports player. But we're not gonna talk anything about how they maybe how they live off the ice or how they behave in the locker room or even how they talk with other players on the ice. This is strictly a sports book. I mean, it kind of it doesn't really add up. <laughs> so I, I think it's a little bit. I think it's a little bit disingenuous in the actual historical records to say that you're going to write a historical book that isn't also going to take into account the religious, uh, maybe supernatural or spiritual claims of this said historical figure of Jesus. It, it just doesn't quite fit with what, you know, the kinds of things Jesus actually said about himself and the things that the, uh, the disciples and the apostles, the eyewitnesses of this historical person and these historical events, also claimed to have seen and been witness thereof. I mean, it, you most you you might even liken it the other way. Someone writing a a book about a, a hockey player, but says, "But this isn't about sports." <laughs> I yeah, mean, exactly. The, the, the whole really, reason Jesus I mean, comes is to to teach us about what we can't know. Yeah, you you really get he sort of guts it from the inside. Uh, the other dangerous thing about that is you take. If you take the history and the religion and pull them apart, what what he's done by sort of default is he said, well, the religious things that Jesus does say, and which are really the main content of having the Gospels in the first place, is is not historical. So you you know by default you've removed the very essence and substance of the Christian faith out of history and put it into something else, maybe some kind of you know super time warp thing, or maybe a you know, kind of a nebula outside of just historical record, but that's not at all what the Gospels do. And so it, it, it's a little misleading to call it history and yet not be historical about it. Uh, as it, its claim that it is historical, how does it fare as a historical book? Well, this is one of the one of the biggest problems I had with it was that you just you don't know. Um, most history books that I've read and uh, most history books that we encounter have if not exhaustive footnotes at the bottom of the page, you know, some of the more academic ones, specifically how they'll format it. But they'll definitely have little, you know, a little citation number or something as you're reading the text. And then that'll correspond to something in the back of the book. And you'll have some extended appendix uh, readings. You'll have a whole list of biographies and, oh, excuse me, bibliographies, all that kind of thing. None of that exists in uh, O'Reilly's book. He doesn't cite anything. The very few footnotes he does have are... Uh, sometimes they're contextual explanations, sometimes they're definitions. Sometimes he does offer a, a little bit of a, well, not quite a citation, but a little bit more of an explanation into further detail on something that he had explained in the body of the book. But the back of the book just men mentions some th people that he's read. Well, probably his writer, uh, Martin Dugard, had read, uh, who is the main researcher. But there's no citations, no documentation. So you're left wondering constantly, as I think the most frequent thing I wrote in the margin of the book when I read it was, where's the evidence? And just, there's no documentation for it. So as a historian and somebody that looks for evidence of records and things in the past, 
it's really hard to trace down whether what he's saying is historically reliable or not because he doesn't provide us any paper trail to follow. There, there are a number of books out there that record a history about a Jesus. However, they don't make it um, to the to the you know New York Times bestsellers list. Um, what does it take to get a book about Jesus on that list? I think that uh, that little video or audio clip you played was kind of revealing. Uh, he says O'Reilly says he's a sensationalist. And he's in it to tell a historical story, but in an interesting, entertaining kind of way. And so I think that's what you end up having to do in some way, shape, or form, either to change the story or to leave out certain parts of the story or to sensationalize it in some way so that it becomes more appealing or more entertaining for people, uh, in a sense, I guess, more palatable. Uh, The days are gone, I think, when... Major guys like C.S. Lewis would write something of intellectual substance on even things of importance like the Christian faith and uh, even you know the true historical record of Jesus, and that would be fairly well and fairly popularly consumed. But uh, now we get this kind of thing. It's yeah, so it's a little disappointing, I think. How does how does the book do? I mean, uh, the the failure of citation aside, how does the how does the book at recording the historical facts? Overall, there's a lot of there's a lot of good things that come in there, but there are also a lot of things that are missing. Uh, let me give you an example here. There was one where he uh, claimed that Mary and Joseph would have seen oh there was a, a massacre that occurred early on in uh, their town, and again no no documentation or no citation there as to how he knows you know what he knows. Uh, just some of the things are missing, including uh, one of the most glaring things is when Jesus gets to the cross and he talks about his, you know, his last dying words on the cross. Uh, O'Reilly kind of picks and chooses which ones he seems to pull from that account and record. He doesn't stick with the typical seven last words of the cross kind of thing. He uh, he uses some, well, he, again, some selective judgment on that. Well, that was one of the things he mentioned in that 60 Minutes interview, and this is what he said. Explain how he was violent. Well, when he went into the temple and overturned those money changers, uh, he was absolutely livid. He was personally insulted that the temple was being used as a place of commerce, and not only that, but they were stealing from the folks. He was upset with people of his own faith. Absolutely. He was, ex- he was upset that the Jews were taxing, overtaxing, and extorting the folks. And that story is important to tell because it explains why so many people wanted him dead. That's the crux of the killing Jesus theme, is that there was a reason he was executed, not that he was saying he was God. Droves of people said they were God. But now, when you interrupt the money flow, now you're into territory where they got to get rid of him. Now, that wasn't the clip I meant to play, but regardless, <laughs> um, we can respond. Okay. It fit in really well, actually. Yeah, we, we can respond to that, because now uh, he's saying that the... Um, the, the the reason Jesus was crucified uh, was not because of his claims of who he was as the Son of God, um, but rather he was crucified because he interrupted the money flow. Um, does this come as his sort of uh, um, his assumption, this kind of a priori approach that, uh, that that this is a historical account, and so nothing religious will be accounted in the book? I think it really fits in with his uh, yeah his starting point. You know. You can always tell where somebody's going to go in, uh, like in a debate format, let's say, uh, if you know sort of where they've been trained, uh, maybe who they're, if you're dealing with a PhD level kind of uh, debate, you know, 
look at who the guy studied under, and then you can kind of figure out, okay, these are their starting assumptions, these are the arguments they're going to make. And you see that with Bill O'Reilly here. He's already tipped his hand as to what he thinks is the kind of book that he's writing, uh, and so we shouldn't really be surprised when he says things like this, although it still makes you scratch your head and think, well, how do you, how do you miss such an obvious thing, such an important thing? You know, right before the quote uh, that you played there, you were asking, how does he fare on the accuracy of cite, citing the biblical text and the biblical authority? And here is another glaring example of how he completely misses what the biblical text and the gospel agree on this. Uh, what was the main cause of Jesus' crucifixion? It wasn't because he was upset about the taxation of the folks, although that was a problem. Uh, but his his raiding of the temple, or his uh, clearing out of the temple, was uh, a little bit more about who he was and you know, his work as Messiah and what the temple was supposed to be about, not a, not a den of thieves or robbers or liars, as he said, but a house of prayer. And so the work had, in the temple had completely shifted the position from being self-serving to man rather than uh, God serving them and coming to them as a place of redemption and holiness and cleansing of sin. It had become, it had become an idol rather than a place to be free from idolatry. And then you get to the whole debacle of what he says about of what O'Reilly says uh, about why Jesus was executed, and that's that's where the major problem of the book is, for me anyway. So, I mean, that certainly is a, a major separation uh, between the uh, historical accounts of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and uh, O'Reilly's book here, the, the reason for Jesus' crucifixion. Now, if he's going to set out saying this is not a uh, religious book, but rather a historical book, uh, what do we do with uh, historical claims like Jesus saying that he is the, the Son of Man or the Son of God? Yeah, I think you have to deal with them on a historical basis and look at them like you would uh, going about you know, trying, to, trying to discover or ascertain any other historical event. Uh, granted, there are wildly different claims than other historical figures made, but they still happened in human history, and so you have to, do a, to a degree, treat them like you would other historical events and say, okay, do we have a paper trail for this? Do we have eyewitnesses that recorded Jesus saying these things? And we do in the case of the Gospel writers, you know, uh, Matthew and John in particular. Uh, Luke, uh, you know, may not have been a first-hand eyewitness to everything, but he was to a great deal in the book of Acts, and then obviously did his homework when it comes to the book of Luke. And same with Mark and his involvement both in the apostolic circle and, of course, uh, with Peter. So their connection to the events as either first-hand witnesses or close associates of eyewitnesses puts them in a far better position to judge the events from a historical perspective than somebody over 2,000 years later uh, with eight months of research behind their belt. O'Reilly says, uh, we had to separate fact from myth based upon a variety of sources, some of which had their own agendas. Um, does O'Reilly say uh, how this criteria took place of separating fact from myth, and how would a, a true historian take upon that endeavor? I really wish he would have spelled out that a little bit more. It came, I think it was oh, around his introduction or something like that, and it would have been helpful to have uh, have a list of, okay, what was his process for you know, sifting through those pieces of history and saying, well, okay, this one was maybe from a, a Gnostic source that came from, you know, 400s or 500s A.D. And clearly, if you're going to compare that, uh, like the, the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas, those kinds of books, clearly they're not on the same historical par as something like 
uh, the Synoptic Gospels, uh, because you don't have the eyewitness factor, you don't have the early church attestation to it, you don't have manuscript evidence, you don't have any documentary paper trail that's heavily uh, wavered uh, or favored in that in that position. You also have the time gap, which is a big problem too. You know, four or five hundred years later versus you know, 200, 100, even less than that in some cases uh, for some of the manuscripts for the New Testament. Uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't spell out any of that for us. He doesn't give us, any, doesn't give us any tools with which to evaluate the sources that he's using and selecting. It's kind of like he's doing it behind a curtain and says, oh, well, here, look, just trust me. I've done some homework and some research, and uh, hopefully you, you take my word for it. What objective criteria would a historian use to, to discern such a... Uh, such a claim or a myth? There's a, quite a few different ways to do it. Uh, one of the most popular, I think, helpful ways that uh, has been done and used by uh, Christian and Lutheran apologists for oh, at least the last 20, 30 uh, years or so, um, John Warwick Montgomery made this uh, rather popular, well-known, um, but he used three basic tests. He had uh, what was called the bibliographic test, and that kind of uh, looked at different, well, uh, looked at the internal part of the text, right? Uh, looked at what was going on uh, as far as the paper trail, as far as manuscripts, uh, the number of manuscripts, right, the dating of manuscripts, all of that kind of thing. Uh, the next one, let me look at my notes here. Where was it uh, again? The internal evidence test with that? Yes, 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 internal, internal evidence, and then you have external evidence that goes along with that as well. Right, so your internal evidence means you're looking at the text itself. You're looking at what's inside of, uh, let's say, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, or John. Uh, and then you're also looking, taking external evidence, so looking at such guys like uh, Suetonius or um, other, different, uh, other different Roman historians and that kind of thing. The other wonderful thing about this method is that uh, John Warwick Montgomery didn't get it from, uh, well, from a Christian source. He actually got it from military history which means it gives you a little bit more of an objective kind of thing than it does if you just pull it out of, oh, let's say, uh, any particular source that may have a bias uh, with it or against it or something like that. Let's listen to that third clip about the words of Jesus on the cross. You include two quotes from Jesus on the cross, but not the most famous one. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why not? We don't put in things that we don't think happened. How do you know? Because you couldn't say something like that audibly that people would hear. He, you die on a cross from su um, being suffocated, that your lungs can't take in any more air. You can hardly breathe. We believe Jesus said that, but we don't believe he said it on the cross because nobody could have heard it. But, Bill, you know what people are going to say. The Bible says that Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, but Bill O'Reilly says that's not true. So I should believe Bill. You believe what you want. If you want to take the Bible literally, then that's your right to do that. But you use as your sources for this book the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but you pick and choose. Right, but that's not our only source. I mean, we use Muslim sources, we use Roman sources, we use Jewish sources. So is this the Gospel according to Bill? This is best available evidence according to Bill. We believe that the oral history in the Bible is largely accurate but we're not taking it literally. What's your response to that, Pastor Schultes? That's a really convoluted paragraph that he just gave us. I mean, it's kind of a, a mix-mash of things. I, he doesn't, well, I like how he doesn't ever answer the question, really, to begin with. Uh, you know, when the, when the interviewer asks him, 
if he's picking and chooses his sources, uh, well, we use all kinds of sources, right? <laughs> we use uh, we use Christian sources and Muslim sources. But there again, you have to ask, ask the question, what what's the dating of these sources and what's the reliability of them? And just the fact that he doesn't really cite them is problematic. But then the fact that they are later, I mean, any Muslim source that you're going to find isn't going to be anything earlier than 600 A.D. And there you're talking about a huge time gap between that. Whereas if you, again, you go through that bibliographic internal evidence and external evidence test, you're going to show that Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John, the Gospels, especially the Synoptics, have such an astounding historical record to them when compared to other things that we know factually about the Greco-Roman world. But there's no reason not to say these are, you know, these are accurate, reliable texts that have been transmitted to us. He, he accuses uh, someone who would read in, in uh, the, the Scriptures that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, as uh, one who is reading, taking the Bible literally. How does Bill O'Reilly take the Bible? That's got to be a great question to ask him. I'd love to see what his answer would be. Uh, they should have put uh, Pastor Evan Gegline on the <laughs> CBS interview. <laughs> That's some, I mean, he had some good questions, but you know, just a few more pointed ones like that, because you know, he tries to wiggle out, and, and the interviewer let him a little bit here and there, but it leaves you to wonder, well, if, if that's what people, if, if he's condemning that kind of literal view of it, which there's no reason not to take Jesus at his words or, or any of the eyewitness accounts uh, that hear, you know, that heard him say these words uh, to say anything different, especially when the textual evidence says this isn't one of those, you know, rare occasions where, oh, we don't think Jesus ever said this. I mean, there's a few instances like that, you know, it, in the little part of John and at the end of Mark's gospel and things like that. But that, none of those instances of manuscript evidence being missing in some of the earliest manuscripts come about in the most important sequences of the central event of the New Testament, you know, Holy Week, Good Friday in particular, and then the resurrection accounts, too. See, I think your problem, Pastor Schulteis, is that you're reading his book literally. You're not seeing That's right. <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> I, expect, I expect a literal reading of... Uh, of history, and I I didn't get it when I got uh, O'Reilly's book. I got more of a, I don't know, I guess a historical paraphrase, maybe to call it something like that, or a, the the history according to Bill O'Reilly. It was a it was a strange animal. Uh, Bill O'Reilly says um, much has been written about Jesus, the son of a humble carpenter, but little is actually known about him. Of course, we have the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they sometimes appear contradictory and were written from a spiritual point of view rather than a historical chronicling of Jesus' life. Uh, how do you respond to that, Pastor Schultes? Well, I think uh, it's a rather arrogant statement to make, isn't it, that, uh, that somehow Bill O'Reilly now comes along and has the best history in the last 2,000 years of, uh, of what happened, what Jesus said, and what the, what the whole well, event leading up to Jesus' death was all about. But there again, uh, no historical evidence to cite whether, uh, whether Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have in fact contradicted themselves, uh, which of course has been a long-standing accusation. This is not a new claim whatsoever. Uh, another fellow who's made a lot of money selling books was uh, Bart Ehrman, you know, with uh, Misquoting Jesus or uh, a few of his other book titles that escape my mind right now. Uh, that was one of his most popular ones. Uh, you know, or even... Uh, Oh, the Jesus Seminar that was around for a while made this uh, kind of claim to in the 80s. Uh, again, not a not a new claim, but something that gets 
it gets kind of regurgitated every now and then with really no evidence again to back it up. I mean, it sounds like uh, Bill O'Reilly is falling really into the same same trap as the Jesus Seminar people. Uh, in, in the introduction of the book, uh, Bill O'Reilly writes, um, this is not a religious book. Martin Dugard and I are both Roman Catholics who are educated in religious schools, but we are historical investigators that are interested primarily in telling the truth about important people, not converting anyone to a spiritual cause. Uh, however, uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly will take the liberty uh, to go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and selectively pick, uh, this happened, this didn't happen, this happened, this didn't happen, because of my uh, personal criteria, which really isn't that a far afield of the Jesus Seminar uh, so-called Bible No, scholars. not at all. Yeah, what it comes down to is a, a subjective reading of a text, whether it be the Scripture in this case, uh, you know, the main, the main four Gospels, or something else. And uh, subjective versus objective reading of a text is going to come down to a lot of... You're going to get a lot of different results, in other words. If it's going to be a little more subjective, you're going to end up with a Jesus Seminar-style thing or uh, a popular version of that with Bill O'Reilly. If you're going to do more of an objective historian's work, you're, you're going to come away with a far more academic piece, but yeah, sometimes it won't sell as well, of course, either. In your article, you write, uh, If we remove Christianity from historical assertions, events, and investigations, we have removed it from reality. Faith is founded on fact, not fantasy. To say that a book about Jesus of Nazareth is purely historical and not religious is erroneous and betrays the historical foundations of the Christian faith. Simply put, in Christianity, you can't separate the two. Explain that, if you would. Sure. Well, I think what what we do in weekly in the in the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, uh, whichever you might say in the, the local congregation or you know privately at home in family devotions or what have you, uh, we we confess several things there. Of course, who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the, the work He's done in you know, creation, redemption, sanctification, and, and all of that. But we confess some little details there, such as He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And so the Christian faith, uh, you know, resoundly, not only in the Scriptures, but in, in our written confessions of faith, has made this constant appeal to history. A real guy did real things at a real place in human history. And you can go and check these things out because if you if it's not that case if it's if it is a fantasy or it is a fairy tale, uh, first of all, what what business do we have telling other people to believe it or that it's true uh, if we can't substantiate it somehow? And, and this is what the gospels uh, show the disciples doing, both in their ministry, especially in the Book of Acts. They make a claim for Jesus' resurrection, and they te- they preach the gospel, and then they back it up with some kind of uh, some kind of well, apologetic, some kind of defense for why people should believe this. And so if you remove Christianity from history, what you've said is it's really no different than any other myth, any other fairy story, or something that is either contrived or intentionally uh, written or told to deceive somebody, uh, or or maybe it's just nice and it's emotional and it'll it'll help people out. Uh, but that, that moves it again to the realm of, uh, of myth or something like that, uh, much like maybe the Greco-Roman gods and goddesses and that whole pantheon, or even the Egyptian gods. Uh, it's the difference, really, between watching something like uh, the Disney Channel or the Nightly News, although these days the Nightly News isn't all that great either. But the point's there, uh, point is still the same kind of there. It seems like the, a person's distinction between fact and myth uh, really comes down to whether what, what they believe happened and didn't believe happened. So... 
Um, I mean, if I told you, Sam, that someone in my congregation yesterday rose from the dead, would that be a claim of, of history, of fact, or would that be some kind of a spiritual religious claim? It would really have to be both. And the way to go about it, of course, would I mean, it is a it would be a spiritual religious claim, but you would go about investigating it much like you would another any other historical event, because there would be eyewitnesses, there would be accounts of it, that kind of thing. You could you could go back and again do some homework on that. Uh, so you, yeah, it, again, it's difficult to separate the two, like uh, like Bill O'Reilly does here. And finally, Pastor Schulteis, what caution would you give a reader setting out to read Bill O'Reilly's Killing Jesus? Well, I'd say read it. I mean, I don't, uh, I'm not one of those kinds of people that's in favor of burning books or uh, banning books uh, that, that shouldn't be read just because they're maybe poorly written or poorly documented or sensationalized or what have you. I think Christians should read it, but they should read it with a, with a discerning eye. Uh, knowing that, uh, again, some of these problems and errors uh, with the documentation, with the methodology, I think the the most glaring one being the fact that Bill O'Reilly just seems to miss what the central point of uh, that that central event of Holy Week is all about. It's not about the tax flow or the money problems that Jesus uh, may may or may not have caused the problem. I mean, the Roman government had tax problems long before Jesus came along, and long after it, too. Uh, but the central problem there is, who is Jesus and what did he come to do? And I think on those major accounts, Bill O'Reilly's book falls far short, and uh, there's far better things to read. But again, people should, I think, be conversant with it at least. Uh, and, you know, programs like this help do it. Uh, there's been a lot of other different uh, reviews of it, I think, on different radio stations or what have you. And those can be helpful, too. So read it, but discerningly. And, uh, you know, do, do some homework on your own with some other, uh, you know, read the Gospels, for example. Start there, and then find out some other reputable uh, apologetics works that uh, you can arm yourself with that'll give you a good defense for when you get into conversations with people. Because no doubt they've at least heard of the book, or maybe they've read it themselves. I know a lot of people at our church have. Pastor Sam Schulteis is pastor Redeemer Lutheran Church in Huntington Beach, California, and has written this review of uh, Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing Jesus, you can find it on our website at tabletalkradio.org in the description for this show. Thanks, Sam, for coming on. Hey, you're welcome. Hey, that was great. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, glad. Sorry about the uh, brain fart on the uh, 